0: I'm Jim, and this is on the left side, the funny football show. Hello again. We're about to box off all the biggest and best stories from the world of football, and all in under 15 minutes, which is a little longer than Paul Scholes lasted in the old manager's job. I mean, 31 days. Have cucumbers in the fridge that have lasted longer than that? But anyhow, off we go. In years to come, when I'm asked to sum up the 2018-19 season, I'll just say, you know, it was pretty much like every other season. Tottenham looked like they could actually win something until bottling it in February. Arsenal ran everybody close for fourth place. And Newcastle United almost got the takeover the fans want, but then didn't. In fact, the only new thing to come out of this season has been Jurgen Klopp's one-man vendetta against the weather. The wind was, came from all directions, so you saw in a lot of situations didn't help any, any football. The weather circumstances didn't help us well. That uh, wind didn't help with that. <laughs> and once again, it was Mother Nature at the heart of the excuses, as Liverpool conceded early to Burnley last week. Last week at Everton, blustery conditions. That that seemed even more difficult today. Don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. The first goal was, yeah. A little bit, maybe the wind. Oh, you blame the wind, mate. It's a twister, it's a twister. To be fair, the reporter threw him totally under the bus with that question. But with it being Liverpool, the bus was probably having objects hurled at it by opposition fans. So it's no wonder it caught him off guard. It's been a ridiculous excuse that, rightly so, Klopp has been ridiculed for this season. But you have to say, if it hadn't been for the German team's performance in the Premier League and the Champions League, he'd probably have come in for even more stick. As it stands, Liverpool are still pushing City for the title and still in the world's most prestigious footballing competition. Sorry, did I say footballing competition? I'm obviously totally wrong, because Klopp this week had a totally new description for the tournament when he called it a... Yeah, it's a money-throwing competition. I mean, it's a money-throwing competition, you can really understand how a bit of wind can cause so many problems, can't you? I think he's getting a bit confused. Instead of watching the players on the pitch, he's looking at those knobheads in the stands who think it's a good idea to chuck their spare change at any players they dislike. That's not the bit you get judged on, Jürgen. Be it money-throwing or footballing competition, Klopp and Liverpool are still very much in it to win it. And ahead of the draw for the next round, the manager was keen to assess his potential opposition. We all would say the same, come on to the Champions League, let's, let's try to, to, to play teams from Europe. It's not a World Cup, mate, it's the European Champions League. All the teams are from Europe. Or do you know something about Brexit that we don't? This is an historic moment from which there can be no turning back. Ironically, it is now impossible for Liverpool to exit Europe before the UK, so that's a pretty decent achievement anyway. No doubt, in every competition, it's all heating up. It's all getting very exciting, so as usual, that means it's time to take a lovely long international break to stop any nice momentum that may have been building up. Everyone's attention going forward is swinging towards the England camp with renewed excitement fueled by the afterglow of the World Cup campaign and everyone's looking forward to these two games against um against um uh, go they're playing the Czech Republic and Montenegro. Oh, they're not even particularly funny teams. Yep, it's good. The nation has settled back into it can't really be asked with international football default. And the only glimmer of excitement this round being the new faces in the England camp. West Ham midfielder Declan Rice, who added an extra zero to his inevitable summer transfer fee, has earned his first international call-up, having finally decided, after much debate, that he'll be playing his international football for England and not Ireland, which in all likelihood will probably be the only successful trade deal the UK has with an EU nation this year. With that in mind, it's probably not ideal that in the very same week he was handed his first England call-up, he was also handed the award for Young Irish Player of the Year. Well done, everyone. It kind of reminds me of Big Jack Charlton's Irish selection policy ahead of Italia 90, when he had Scouse, sorry, Paddy Goal Machine, John Aldridge, right, right, died-in-the-wool Yorkshireman, sorry, Irishman, Mick McCarthy! And pretty much, born in earshot of the Bowbells, sorry, I mean Blarney Stone, Tony Cascarino, all pulling on the green of the Republic of Ireland. And all because of the so-called Granny Rule. Which isn't the same rule that caused Wayne Rooney all those issues, by the way. (laughs) At the end of the day, Dion Dublin was probably a more legitimate choice for the national team. But that was a simpler time. Forget about parentage or where you were born, or passports and all that stuff. If you'd ever drunk enough Guinness to get one of those inflatable Guinness hats on St Patrick's Day, that was enough for Big Jack. Rice's call-up to the England squad is the latest move from Gareth Southgate to inject some young English talent into the team. And whilst the West Ham midfielder is a rising star, another youngster is already shining brightly. Raheem Sterling has been in devastating form for his club in recent weeks and Southgate will be hoping that he can bring a little bit of that sparkle to the field at international level. But it hasn't just been his on-pitch talent that has been earning the plaudits from the manager. I'm so impressed by his maturity and um, the way that he's spoken out on important subjects and is showing huge social conscience in, in certain areas of his life as well. He really is developing into an outstanding role model for young people to follow. Whilst I 100% agree that Sterling speaking out against the racism in the press is a great thing, and I applaud his behaviour as a role model for young black men, I'm not sure that this particular shift in praise is going to work in all aspects of the game. There's 10 minutes to go here and the game is still hanging in the balance. But here's Sterling, the man of the people, who's back on the ball with another remarkable display of social conscience. And yes! Yeah! He's refusing to take it past the defender. Instead, he's empowering him to get involved and be active in his community. What a wonderful example of solidarity and equality. What a season this young man is having. Maybe we should just start picking the whole England team for their morals and do-gooding rather than their ability. Could lead to some interesting choices. Mother Teresa in net, Oprah Winfrey sitting in the hole and Bob Geldof out wide on the right. Actually, I think Bob Geldof's probably more of a left-winger. <laughs> what do you mean none of them are English? Check the grandparents. <laughs> While Southgate still seems to be making strides forward in the international scene, the man who came before is still happily boiling in his own piss in bitterness and anger on being in sports because no-one really thinks he's very good. And the reason is, not because he's not very good... Because he's English. But I'm finding that the amount of play that's going on in midfield is slowing the game down far, far too much for me. And we're losing that cut and thrust. That cut and thrust you talk about is what attracted all these foreign coaches and yet they've turned our game into the one that we used to watch in Italy. Yes. Totally agree, Sam. What these bloody foreigners need to do is bypass the midfield altogether and just lump the ball forward to Kevin Nolan up top. Now that's proper football. Sam Allardyce has turned into the drunk uncle at a wedding. Pints of Pinot into his evening and he's just repeating the same old slightly racist statement over and over again until someone in the room either agrees with him or buys him another drink to shut him up. (sighs) The thing is, Sam was one of the most forward-thinking men in football. He did amazing things for sports science and bringing the game up to speed with other sports. But now he's just a footballing version of Britain's first, constantly suggesting that it's their fault that he's not in a job and spouting that the Guardiola's and the Klops and the Pochettinos of this world have only got the big jobs because they've got fancy names. We are sucked into the fact that they all do better than we do and they all play football better than we do. It's madness. He's even been having a pop at the current flavour of the month, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, this week. Forget about all that press talking about him being a master tactician and all that rubbish. I was always lucky when I beat Man United or Arsenal or Chelsea. I was never a master tactician. Now, he's at Man United and he's a master tactician because he's at Manchester United. If you were in my position with a lesser team than the opposition, that they play below par and you're lucky that day. Firstly, I don't think anyone has called Ole a master tactician. In fact, the press, if anything, have been massively playing down his achievements at Old Trafford where he's won 14 of his first 19 games in charge by just saying he's making everyone happier. Secondly... In your 27 games against Manchester United, Sam, you got lucky three times. If you add Chelsea and Arsenal into the mix, that's 14 wins in 89 games. If I was having that kind of luck, I'd be packing my bags up and leaving the casino sharpish. I'm probably blaming all the foreigners on my way out. Watching Big Sam sitting next to Richard Keyes and Andy Gray on in Sports spouting this gammon-flavoured bile is like watching Question Time when Nigel Farage is on the panel if somehow Farage was able to turn every talking point back onto why he should be Prime Minister and is in fact a criminally underrated politician. You can take the mickey all you want. Big Sam is the kind of footballing dinosaur that would suggest that a fan-punching Jack Grealish last week was actually a good thing because it motivated the midfielder to go on and score in the same game. Or at least he would have said that if the EFL hadn't said it first. So last week during the Birmingham Derby, a City fan ran onto the pitch, passed the stewards and floored Jack Grealish with a punch to the side of the head. A shocking moment that rightly earned the dickhead in question at a lifetime ban from football with a prison sentence the world of football was quick to attack the attack. And within an hour, the EFL had released a statement saying, Of course, the EFL condones the mindless actions of the individuals who encroached on the pitch at St. Andrews. OK, I know Grealish can be a bit of a dick, but condoning the attack? It's a bit far, isn't it? Yeah, let's have some more of this kind of thing. Liven up games a bit. They, of course, didn't mean condone. They meant condemn, and they corrected the mistake soon after. But condoning the attack was a mild reaction when compared to some portions of football that completely lost their shit over the event. Like former Birmingham winger David Cottrell, who was on BBC Wales with a quite radical plan. The guy who ran on the pitch uh, was there to cause havoc, not watch football. We need more security. I'm not condoning guns at the games, but if the police are going to be armed, I think it's the way forward. He says he's not condoning guns, but then he suggests having guns at games. Maybe he means he's not condemning guns at games. It's an easy mistake to make that. Can we just all calm the fuck down a bit? There were around 40 Football League games last weekend. Two of them had people run onto the pitch. The week before, none of them did. And the week before that, none of them did. So let's not leap to conclusions that we need to fill football stadiums with lethal weaponry, shall we? Right now, they won't even let you have a bottle with a lid on. So I'm not sure giving everyone guns is the best plan. Another option might be, and I don't know, this is probably crazy... Hire a few more stewards. Maybe pay them a good living wage. You know, enough that covers their travel and stuff. But anyway, guns are a good idea too. That said, even with the sarcasm, maybe it's not that bad an idea. Arm the police to gun down anyone who dares step foot on the pitch. Arm the players so they can defend themselves. Arm the crowd so it's a fair fight and screen the whole thing on pay-per-view. At least the next time that Ashley Young goes down like he's been shot, he might actually have a decent excuse. Towards Ashley Young, oh he's through. Ah, What a sensational hit! That's a screamer from Ashley Young. That's it for today's show. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes or however you listen to podcasts if you enjoyed it and click that subscribe button so you get the next show as soon as it's ready. It will pop up on your phone like magic. And I look forward to seeing you and talking to you and talking at you next week. Bye-bye. On the left side is written and produced by Andrew Gaming and Jim Salverson.